Grow stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit, adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and 10, win or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future. Winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. All right, there she is. Um, today, we got Whitney McCoy, once an HR business partner of mine a beacon of positivity and leadership. She's recently traversed from the heart and soul of Kentucky, now on the sunny beaches of Florida. Uh, Whitney's a University of Kentucky graduate for undergrad, uh, her master's uh, from Moorhead State. Uh, started her career in humble little blessings daycare. She'd navigate the roles at Nielsen Media Research, Best Buy, worked as assistant store manager at another place. Um, pretty big, you know, grocery type of organization and, and a few others known for her selfishness and unparalleled professionalism, but he's impacted many, uh, a source of unwavering support, true embodiment to the values of a servant leader. And she has wicked positivity. All right. So when I say wicked positivity, I don't mean that lightly. Um, in every situation, she kind of tries to find that, uh, and is committed to giving everyone a voice. Outside of work, she's an advocate for ethical fashion, loves to travel, and a proud brand ambassador for Seco Designs. So, yeah. kind of not technically anymore. Now Seco Designs belongs to Noonday Collection for anyone who wants to get into ethical fashion. And I have some other relationships I've built from the those experiences that allow me to support. And we can talk about that. But what, when you say ethical fashion, what's the difference between normal fashion and ethical fashion? So ethical fashion means you're not buying from big boxes, like big producers. For instance, um, a few years back, I won't get too detailed because, you know, I don't we don't want to take this into politics. But there was a a, a campaign um, that really made America look at how they treat women um, that really started some of the gender awareness that's going on in society. And I decided I did not want to purchase items from people who don't use them. So for instance, why would I buy a woman's handbag from a man? Like if the man's not carrying the handbag, why is his name on my handbag? So I started buying women-owned businesses, which okay. is what led me into Seiko Design. So ethical fashion or slow fashion is just harnessing the power of your dollar for good. So instead okay. of me purchasing... So, yes, instead of me, Yeah, exactly. So instead of me purchasing you know, a handbag from some big name label that's making millions of dollars a year and you're carrying, you know, for the brand. I like to buy like handmade leather bags from artisans in like Guatemala or Uganda because I know that that bag purchase is helping them like put food on the table or pay their rent or mortgage for the month, you know, or send their kids to school. Um, I have a friend who makes these earrings out of Texas. She's a black owned business and the, my purchases send her kids to karate, allow her to travel. It's made with love, Carissa, for anybody who wants to join us. All right, yeah, I've get also, some of that stuff, everybody. Yeah, it's really good. She's got a Facebook group. I am like a brand ambassador there. And we always just talk about, you know, slow fashion and the power behind the dollar. You know, I think a lot of people underestimate what you can do if you harness your dollars and put them where you want to put them. Yeah. And so that's what got me into ethical fashion. Not they necessarily call it fashion. going for the cheapest thing, but um, putting some, <laughs> some value and support behind it on the other end. 
Right. Yes. These gotcha. earrings are pretty inexpensive, so don't let that deter anyone. But like my handbags probably aren't as cheap as maybe you could find some of the others. But again, it's a it's a bigger impact. You know, they're buying less leather. Most of the leather is ethically sourced. You know, and so it's just it's a little it's a it does it's a better feel good. Gotcha. You know, um, and I'll give you this anecdote. So we were I was in Guatemala last October, um, visiting some of the artisans who make some of the items that I love, and um. We met a woman named Siggy who has a gorgeous store called Casa de los Gigantes, which means House of the Giants, which I love. And as she talked about how people understand the energy and love being put into something people make when they cook food. You know, food tastes different when your mom makes it, right? Because, you know, you can taste like the love that's put into it and the energy like you feel good when you sit down and eat the food your mom has made versus if, you know, someone you don't know makes the food like the the love is not there. And so people have a better understanding. They can grasp the concept of the energy in like homemade food, but it's the same thing applies to clothes, right? So if yeah. I buy a pair of earrings that I know the maker and I know, you know, the relationship is there, the energy and the earrings are different. Whereas yeah. if I just buy them like off the store and that helps me kind of understand that's where the feel good comes from, right? Because you know, the love and energy that has been put into making this is different than someone who's like on a line mass producing the same exact item for you know hundreds and thousands of people to purchase and yeah. so that's a good gotcha. little anecdote yeah uh, yeah you, you triggered something for me so i gotta bring it up uh, okay it's like so the other day i made tacos okay and i don't make tacos very often i don't cook Ooh, very often we i'm getting into tacos. it i'm learning how to okay. cook right now let's go so I, I made tacos and my wife's like man those are good like i like your tacos better than mine i was like I no way it. like i like yours better than the ones so <laughs> some, but it's it's different, right? Because you can feel the love. Like when we cook, you're like, oh, that was exhausting. Like it's a different experience. But, yeah. you know, when someone is like prepped it for you and you know it's made with love and you know what they sacrificed and you know they've researched and made this recipe and tweaked it, like it's a, it lands different for the person. It's a different emotional experience. And the same thing applies to, you know, clothes and accessories and purses. And so. And that's a big part of your ambassador for whatever kind is. of brand ambassador stuff. So, yeah. Well, cool. Let's roll into memories. So, I got a okay. few memories. The first one's from, uh, Lenise Brand, we call her Nisi, Ops Supervisor Nisi. under your guidance for several years in a couple of different job locations. A couple of different jobs, yes. Big fan she, of Nisi. She said, uh, you know, you're the ultimate professional on the job, uh, knows the business like no other. She can also light up a room with a smile, uh, makes everybody around here feel comfortable. Uh, Whitney's also the resident trivia person and foodie. Um, I, never, I never knew that I needed in my life. Uh, and you're actually on the trivia piece you were on a trivia game show once right i was my family and i were on family feud um it was quite the experience and if you ever have the opportunity please by all means audition and try to get on the show it wasn't the best outcome we only got to play one game but uh it was a fantastic time everybody gets a prize you get a trip to um atlanta to record and it was a really great experience for my family. I was my mother, myself, my sister, my cousin, and my aunt. Yeah. And you get to dress alike, and you get to meet all the other families. You get to meet Steve Harvey, who was hilarious, very tall, very handsome, smelled fantastic. Um, and so it is fun. So, however, it did give me, uh, like, low-key PTSD, and so I can't play Family Feud anymore. I immediately am stressed out. Just because you I lost? Can... Or yeah. why? Oh, okay. Probably lost and if you just you're immediately back like the lights are in your face all these people are watching you like i just am immediately back there and start to lose my breath so i can't play family for you but i can be steve harvey so now i'm eternally the host since so i will host a trivia game in a minute 
Yeah. But I don't play as much. Do you have a copy of that episode? Could I attach it to I, this podcast? I don't. I don't have a copy, unfortunately. Um, okay. This was before, like things were really cool with like you know hard drives and stuff. Um, I know that we played. It was the McKinney family versus the Boudreaux family, and it's really hard to find now because there have been so many seasons. But if anybody ever wants to Google that and dig really deep, or if you ever find some Family Feud archives. We used to be able to Google and find it. And when we get off, I'll see if I can find it. Yeah, I'll um, attach no it to promises. it if you can find it. Yeah. So. I mean, it's not something I want to advertise. It wasn't the, yeah, but fun. I mean, it's still a once in a lifetime opportunity and it was a fantastic time. I do it again. Um, cool. But that is Miami Eternally the Trivia. And thanks, Nisi, so much for those kind words. Nisi is awesome. Nisi has worked with me in two different companies. Um, and she's a, she's a good, she's a good friend. She is very professional. She's a really good people manager. So glad to hear. Gotcha. Um, more from her. She said she, you bring, um, fun to any function, whether it be a monthly team meeting or just a small celebration for someone's accomplishment. Uh, having Whitney as a mentor over the years taught me, um, uh, much about the quiet, no nonsense professional approach to talking to team members while still treating them with, uh, dignity and respect. I never yes. saw her lose her cool, uh, when the people she was speaking to lost theirs. Uh, she was the ultimate professional. I'm proud to know her and forever grateful to have her as a friend. So. Nice. It is a, it's a, it's a talent. It's a talent to be able to still treat someone with compassion and dignity, even though they are not doing it to you. No doubt. So. Uh, Rebecca Riordan. So another um, supervisor inside those four walls. Um, let's see her. She said, your amazing smile, no matter uh, what room she walked into or situation she encountered, she always brought positivity, uh, theme. She always saw the big picture, was willing to help in any way she could, no matter the day or the hour she listened with intent and made other people feel like they were the most important person in the room when talking to her. Uh, Whitney's attitudes, top notch, fair, authentic cares, uh, and embodies the values of a servant leader. Needless to say, I'm a Whitney fan is what she said. That's so kind, Rebecca. Thank you. I'm a Rebecca fan. She's so kind. All right, Bakari, uh, Fuchs, Um, One of the main things that sticks out about Whitney is her passion for the workforce and legitimately wanting to make sure the team has a voice. Um, she's always ahead of the curve on how we can better serve the people uh, that we lead. It's an amazing source of knowledge when it comes through um, and when, when it comes to navigating the gray areas. She'll go far in her career for sure. Thanks, Bakari. He's so kind to you. <laughs> These are so nice. <laughs> it's me. Okay. Not tearing up. Three more. All right. Next okay. Uh, Tony Burns, a fellow. Love uh, Tony Burns. Peter. Yes. HR mentor of mine. Yeah. She's definitely, definitely a baller. She supported me for she a couple is. of years. We love her. Um, Whitney's easily one of the most selfless people I know. She's always <laughs> given her time, energy, and heart to, to others and always one step ahead of those um that sh she loves anticipating their needs and offering help where needed um uh, she's also gives me a different perspective on life including giving people more of the benefit of the doubt than i would initially um, <laughs> <clears throat> anyways i witnessed firsthand um how deep she loves her family friends and it's really like no other so very blessed to have a co-worker and, and turn forever friend and whitney absolutely thank you tony she is awesome we are definitely personal friends it's a really that's a success story for people you meet at work and they bleed over into your personal life and get to be friends tony's a success story there yeah that's good yeah stuff. The next two kind of a blast from the past first one's linda albright 
uh, Linda, a boss from a previous employer, Matulsa. Yes, uh, also a boss. Linda used to sit in the cubicle across from me. So when I started at Matulsa, they had cubicles, and Linda was literally across from me, and is now the boss, like the HR. I'm not sure what the title is there, but she's like the HR director for the Matulsa plant. So it's a big place. She's a super boss. Three little under three thousand employees, unless they've grown since I've been gone. Yeah, uh, she's got. She's a strong leader. She's got a good team. Awesome. Uh, she said, Wit is one of the um, most genuinely warm and outgoing people I've ever met. Uh, she feels her emotions super big and pours herself into her relationships. Despite facing many personal losses and challenges, she never appears bitter or allows that to take away from the bright light uh, of the human that she is. 100%, without a doubt, even if gone months without seeing her, I know I could count on her for anything. Uh, I know this because I personally experienced it in the past month when I went through something um, myself, pretty sudden and debating loss. Uh, she's a joy to have as a friend, and I'm thankful for the, you know, the world has people like her in it. We are better for it. She's so kind. That's going to make me cry. She did not experience a big loss. She had a big life change that was for the better. I hope she hears that when <laughs> she listens to this. Um, and I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah, I worked with Linda when I went through a really dark time. I lost a brother and I was really dark inside. So it's good to hear that maybe I did a, a pretty okay job of not letting that affect my professional life because um, she she was there for me. That whole team was really there for me um, when I went through that. And I'm really grateful. You, that's why you have to pour into people, right? Like relationships are very important. That's like relationships are the currency, you know, of life. And uh, you pour into people because when you meet them, they pour back into you. And uh, every time I think about um, my, my brother, my cousin that I lost and that time, I always think about how kind they were at work and they brought um, groceries to my house and, you know, they sent me cards. They sent me home when I was stressed and uh, I appreciate that was yeah. definitely an environment. So I'm glad to hear that I was still bright because I probably inside didn't start feeling happy again, giving myself permission to feel joy after this loss, probably into like, last year you know two years ago grief is crazy and that's a whole other podcast topic i don't know if you you know and i don't want anyone to ever experience it but for anyone who's listening to this and has experienced like true grief losing somebody really close uh, to you yeah. it's it's wild the impact it has on every step of your life it's it's so sneaky like you're just driving down the road and all of a sudden you're crying or you're at work and all of a sudden you're crying and it's just it's crazy so you listen to uh, that uh rebecca episode not yet. I'm going All to. Right. I need. I meant yeah. to. I started it, but I haven't finished it. So if there was a grief portion. Yeah, she lost it. her brother as well. See, he was my cousin, but he was like a brother. He was an only child, so he spent a lot of time with us growing up, and uh, he was such a light. Like people, people love me. They they see my positivity. They see my light. But my entire family is really like that. And if there was anyone in my family that was really comparable, it was him. His name's Dontrez. Dontrez Dawson, and uh, he was so fun and so positive and such a light and it was such a loss and it really it really impacted like me and my family you know we were really dark you have to fight you have to fight really hard to get out of those spaces I mean I come from a family of fighters you know we're doing okay my aunt his mom we're doing okay but it gets it gets really dark and so I'm glad to hear you know so many people say so many things because sometimes when you're in those spaces it influences how you see yourself you start to worry about like how you're showing up and how good of a friend you're being, how good of a worker you're being, how good of a fiance you're being, how good of a sister you're being. So 
Glad to hear that it's okay. <laughs> um, but I appreciate those words from Linda because um, I was, I would, when I worked there, probably the, my last year, uh, two years there, I was a different person after that loss. And so glad you to might, hear that. You Go mind ahead. if I ask, how'd you lose him? He was in a car accident Dang. coming home from Lexington. Something just ha- maybe caused him to jerk his car and lose control. Um, and it was, it was, it was heavy. That's the worst, you know, that's the worst. But I guess it's not yeah. the worst. Yeah. It, it, it was completely a hundred percent unexpected. I was coming home from exercising. Here's a, uh, not a funny story, but when I got the phone call that he had passed, I was coming home from exercising and I had just stopped at McDonald's and bought a happy meal, like the irony. Um, and I didn't eat happy meals, honestly, for like two years after this loss. He passed in 2021, I believe. I think I need to, it was 2021 or 2020. All the years run together now, but um, I didn't eat Happy Meals for like two years because every time I pulled into a McDonald's to get one, I was immediately back there. Um, and so you just remember, you know, everything you start to associate like with this grief and with this loss, but yeah. he was, he, he would, he was so happy and he would want us to celebrate and he would want us to move on. He was, I mean, I, he was such a leader, like, and he, there were like over 200 people at his, at his, uh, his, his going away service and, uh, they were streaming it and like there, he impacted so many lives. He, it was honestly, like it's an inspiration, right? Like while you're here, cause you don't know when you're going to leave. So while you're here, you have to do what you can. And, uh, you hardly say he was such a liver. He traveled. I lived in Lexington and Frankfurt and he would just pop up at my house. He'd give me like a 30 minute heads up and he'd be in my driveway. Like he was just always moving. He always made it a point to see his family. Um, and so we adored him, big loss, big loss. Um, and you know, they don't teach you, they don't teach you like how to handle that or what to do. And they don't teach you how hard and heavy grief is. And so just for anybody who's listening that's experienced grief, it's normal, it's crazy. But, you know, uh, somebody told me that, um, you know, you can't get rid of grief. Like you just have to learn to accept it. And so when it comes, I'm just like, oh, Don Trez, like, I appreciate it because I'll never forget him. And so it's always nice to have the reminders of like this, this impact and this influence I had in my life and the, this love that I've lost, but not really, you know, like he's, he's up, he's in heaven and he's, he's watching me and he's sending me things, you know, and so uh, he's sending me love. He, you know, I got engaged to my fiance. Um, I met my fiance and got engaged after Don Trust passed and he used to always talk to me about getting married. So I'm like, oh, he probably had something to do with that. And, and so, you know, some things that I believe, you know, that helped me like day to day, but. Do you ever think that he's trying to communicate with you? Because I just got done with Jim Jimbo, and yeah. he's got a situation like that too. Uh, I don't. So I will tell you, I don't think that he's. I not day to day. I dream about him sometimes, and I think when he pops up in my dreams, it's like him saying hi. Mm-hmm. Um, when he passed, I was dreaming about him every night, and I have really, I've, I have a real sensitivity to my dreams and nightmares. Like I, nice. I already sleep pretty light. Um, and so I always, when I was younger and I've always had this, I had another, uh, Dominic Bonanno when I was in high school passed away and we were pretty good friends. And when he passed away, I dreamed about him a lot. And my mom used to be like, you need to pray. You need to pray. And no offense to anyone who's not a Christian. I come from a Christian family. I do believe in Christianity. I believe in God. And so my mom was like, you need to pray. So I had to start praying so that I could like sleep and have some calmness. So when Don Trez passed away, it was just so fresh. It was so new. And I wasn't sleeping for like three months. I wasn't sleeping. I would medicate to sleep. So I would alternate like Benadryl and melatonin just to try to give myself like four or five hours. And um, I had a grief counselor finally, which I a hundred percent advocate for. 
And as she said, tell him to stop visiting you in your dreams. She said, tell him he can come as a butterfly. Tell him he can come as a cardinal. Um, but she said, you know, tell him, hey, you have to stop visiting me in my dreams. Like I'm not sleeping. And she was like, tell him this, like, just tell him to give you a minute. And yeah. I was like, wow, okay. And so I did that and I immediately started like <laughs> sleeping Push. again. Yeah. And so now when he visits me in my dreams, it's really positive. It's not as often because, you know, I'm a little, I'm much easier to talk about. Probably a year ago, two years ago, two years ago, you couldn't have paid me to get to this podcast and discuss it without ugly crying, <laughs> like snotting, ugly crying, knees to chest, like despair at this loss. But um, it, he would, he doesn't deserve that. He deserves to be like saying from the rooftop, he was a fantastic human being and he was a fantastic family member. He's a fantastic cousin, brother, um, person. And so he deserved for his memory to be like shouted. And so I'm glad that I can talk about it now and not feel the sadness. Um, cause I won't, I want him to be celebrated and I would want to be celebrated. And, you know, you say that like when I pass, I want my family, like, I don't want them to be sad. And it's so hard because I know he wouldn't want us to be sad. He was never a sad person. Like he was such a happy, positive person. Um, but it's hard. You're like, I'm trying to do this, but I can't because yeah. it's such a great loss, you know, but. Um, he is, uh, he's a fantastic person and I was, but it was such a loss. And so good to hear, I'll bring us back. Good to hear that Linda didn't see the darkness. Um, cause she, and they definitely made a space for it and she did get to see some of it, but I did try to show up still in my, you know, day to day. So good to hear. Got it. Yeah. Well, thanks for unpacking a little bit of that with us. Uh, it's, uh, it's not easy, but I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Ashley Holt, last one in the memory section. Uh, uh so um university of kentucky extension peer turned bestie y'all yep. go way back to, yes. to that and um yes. she said she was my intern in, uh while in college uh, yes. then became full-time ashley could really feel y'all's relationship blossom as you both worked together y'all complimented each other in a lot of different ways strengths and and weaknesses wise yeah uh, to help you grow together um pretty quick uh whitney being you know is extra extrovertedly fun personality type of you know what you are and ashley was more of the logistics introvert of the duo um that y'all lean on each other often really worked well yeah uh, yes. when he helped me find um a sort of articulation for my voice <laughs> when working together she watched you demonstrate this talent and she wanted that trait from you uh what still teaches me to this day her posture attitude and agency uh ashley now tells herself i'm gonna put my whitney on today <laughs> And it's uh, <laughs> thankful for that lesson. So, yeah, she's a, she's a fantastic person. It is really nice. You know, they say that, um, Ashley's a soulmate of mine. You know, they teach you, like, you know, maybe your soulmates are like opposite sex or they're supposed to be like romantic relationships. But sometimes you just meet people and the, the meshing there is so organic. Like, you just work well together. Their preferences match, like, your least preferences and your preferences, you know, match like their, like, things they wouldn't want to do. And you really come together to make like this mega team. And that was Ashley and I, aside from the fact that we get along very well and we have so much fun together, like where I would maybe need some assistance, she flourishes. And so it does. Yeah. We, I was her intern. I was uh, the office, her intern uh, in Louisville for a summer. And then I went on to work full time for the same company, UK's extension, which I did for eight years prior to moving full time into HR. And uh, we did so much programming together because it was so fun to us still. So it wasn't like work. Like anytime I was with Ashley, we had a great time. Um, and the, we worked on a lot of kids. We impacted a lot of kids' lives together. We took them to DC. We took them to farms. You do a lot of um, 
because we're urban, right? So I'm African-American female, for those of you who won't see the YouTube with this clip. Um, and so Ashley's also an African-American female, and we were hired in UK's extension to help broaden the the programming to people from our similar backgrounds. So, you know, historically, 4-H is for more rural children who grow up on farms. You know, there's a hams and cows and goats and, you know, horses. I mean, so people who don't grow up in rural settings miss out on a lot of that leadership development. And so uh, Ashley and I were hired to help implement and make some of that non-traditional programming traditional um, and then bring some of the traditional programming to non-traditional audiences. And so um, we had a lot of fun doing that. And so that was a, a really good time. But she actually is a fantastic person and she just she makes work not work. Right. So I loved being with her. We had a good time and we haven't worked together since 2016, but are still very much best friends, definitely in my inner circle. Um, she actually just got a kidney. So shout out to Ashley and for everyone who's on the uh, organ donation. She was in kidney failure and actually just had surgery for her first and last kidney transplant um, three weeks ago. So she's home and like on the medicine and healing. So nice. uh, really, yeah, really uh, grateful to have her uh, still and for her to be like on this successful journey and you know, just a plug for people who are experiencing, you know, anybody who maybe needs like an organ donation, you people, you know, you see that as you're growing up and like when you get your driver's license, they're like, donate an organ, donate an organ. Um, but until it's like in your face, one of your beloved family members who like need a kidney, um, you're like, wow, the impact. And so for anyone listening, yeah, who's not donate an organ, save a life when you pass. Uh, somebody saved Ashley's life and we are really grateful. And I tried to give her one of my kidneys, just a little anecdote as well. But the doctor, they like, you call and you fill out a form, you send it in and they call and do like an over the phone interview first. And the doctor was asking me about like my health and my age and my weight and everything. And he was like, you should probably keep your kidneys because you're going to potentially need them. <laughs> <laughs> Before he could even see if I was a match, he was like, you don't need to get your kidneys in. So to be a match for something like that, what, same blood type? And yes, I believe so. And I don't even know, because I think she had a pretty maybe odd blood type, but you have to be the same um, blood type. And then your organs have to be healthy. Because I think, you know, we have a spare kidney. So you have two kidneys, you can give up one. Um, but they just make sure that you don't need it. But gotcha. they didn't even check my blood type first. He They evaluate to make sure that like, your kidneys, okay. yeah, your kidneys even a spare before they're like, okay, we could, she could use it. And so get a lot of people trying but uh, we did end up finding because they say living donors are better so if you get the kidney from someone who's still alive it's a little better than you know trying to get one from someone who passed but she did end up getting someone um and it was it's been a i think she's been on this journey for three years mm. and so it took three years yeah so a lot of prayers and tears and crying and medicines and hospitalizations and so i'm yeah. so happy yeah so she's a blessing and i'm blessed to still have her blessed to have her and we're, uh, we are awesome mega team, Wit and Ash. They love this. Hopefully, we'll work together again one day. Cool. All right. That's in the memory section. <laughs> this is where I say, you know, tell us the Whitney story. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's so hard to always do this. Um, you know, I'm a – my name is Whitney. I live in Jacksonville, Florida. I've been here for five months. Um, you know, I've – I don't know. I'm a hilarious person. I like to have fun. I am. I do appreciate all those memories. I do think that I do make it a point to be pretty positive. I think I learned at a really young age uh, that I can, the only thing I can control is myself. Uh, my mom taught me that, you know, the only thing you can control is yourself. And so 
I've always made it a very intentional about, you know, putting on a happy face, putting on a brave face, putting on a positive face. Um, I have two dogs who are awesome and I have a fiance. We're getting married in nine days. So by the time yeah, it's in Jamaica, airs, right? Oh, yes. In Jamaica on the beach in the grill, Jamaica. We're going to the Dominican Republic for our honeymoon. So by the time this airs, I'll be Mrs. Fabian. Uh, and I'll have all of that drama and stress behind me. So it could be a whole nother podcast topic, like wedding planning and the relationships you learn about when you're wedding planning, but not for this one. Um, but let's see, I started out in extension. So we kind of just touched on that. I do have, thanks for covering my background. I have a two degrees. I have a bachelor's from the University of Kentucky. I have a master's from uh, Moorhead State University. Um, so many interesting stories. Those, my master's is a success story. I had to end up going to Moorhead because there was a professor at the University of Kentucky who uh, did not want to let me graduate. So I literally had to transfer programs to finish my master's degree. Um, once I completed my master's degree, I moved on to the big grocery retailer you referenced where I worked for two years as a store manager, learned a lot there. <laughs> um, I met the manager. So I was working in extension. I was at a conference and, uh, the HR person for the major retailer, the HR person Mm. the HR person for this, let's just call it grocery store, for the grocery store was um, one of the judges for a competition. They were one of the sponsors. Uh, so he heard me presenting and he walked up to me afterwards and he said, um, you're going to have my job one day. And I said, that sounds fantastic. Um, and he was like, great. And so we started meeting. We probably met once every other month. Um, he would bring me to the stores, walk me around the stores, talk to me about the program. Uh, this grocery store had a mantra that they were not hiring managers. They were hiring leaders. And so he recognized that I was a leader. He said, you know, I can't teach. It's hard to teach someone to be a good leader. Uh, it's not hard, but, you know, it's really hard. It's easier to teach someone the business than it is how to, like, people manage. So when they have someone who knows how to people manage, it's easy to teach them the business. So that's how I got moved into um, the grocery retail world. I was an assistant store manager for HR. I mean, it was really interesting because, you are HR, but at its core, you're really running a grocery store. And so I was stocking spice aisles and stocking freezers and, you know, checking produce for rotting produce. Like you, you're running a grocery store and that's the priority. The customer will always be the priority. You know, so really some of the other aspects of HR really take a backseat to running a grocery store. You also work every holiday that someone's eating. And so... um I decided that wasn't for me because I was getting really sad of missing all the holidays. I didn't get to travel for Thanksgiving for like two years. Um, and my dad's side of the family lives in North Carolina and I didn't see my grandma there for two years. And that's when I knew that I needed to kind of go somewhere else. Um, and so that was fascinating. So at that uh, pretty big responsibility, um, yes. you know, assistant store manager in this chain, um, what were some key learnings from, from that experience? Uh, good, bad, whatever, like something most memorable that sticks out to you that when you walked away from that, I learned something today. What was that? Okay. From the grocery store. I learned a lot while I was there. Um, it was my first union experience. Um, so for anyone who's listening, they've ever worked in a union um, or worked in a union environment. The it, It's just different. Um, but, you know, this grocery store is big in the world, uh, one of the bigger unions. And so 
Um, I learned a lot about that that relationship. Um, I actually I had this a union steward there who was so mean, and you know, part of their role is just to not be kind. Um, to the point, the first time I met him, my boss had typed up a list like an attendance dossier, but like an attendance policy essentially. And it was the exact pull from the the contract, but it was just like, you know, if you miss, this is what's going to happen. The nice thing for me is when I started at this grocery store, the new store manager had started a week before. So we were able to walk in and both be new and like develop a relationship. So I didn't have the weight of like somebody, everybody was learning the manager. And so it's not like people, you know, there were no favorites. There was nobody who knew what she liked and didn't like. We were all learning her. And so that was really nice. Um, and he, the, the union steward, they walked him up, they introduced him. And he was like, I'm glad you're here. Nice to meet you. He didn't say that, but, you know, he like brushed me off. And he was like, I wanted to talk about this attendance form. And I was like, oh, it's just a policy just to help employees understand what they can do and what they can't do. And he was like, yeah. He goes, well, you tell your store manager. This is what I think about that. And he balled it up in a ball and like basketball shot it into the trash can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that my- that's definitely their job. <laughs> yeah. So that was my first experience with the union. So I learned that from the grocery store. Um and, you know, I touched on prioritizing and um, it helped me learn that while I love HR, I love people managing, I love working with people. I enjoy the aspect of my job that allows me to help like rationalize people's actions um, and, you know, how we should handle situations. I love the strategic part of my role. Uh, you are still running the grocery store and that's just always the main point there. So you're always going to need to go talk to a customer who's complaining uh, downstairs. They're always going to try to scam you. The loss prevention at the grocery store was fantastic. Shout out to Mr. Dave. Um, we had a, the loss prevention there. I worked, so I worked at a store that was in downtown Louisville, um, around the Churchill Downs area. And, um, so it's a, it's a, an interesting area to be in, right? In Louisville, it's fantastic, but there's a lot yeah. of, I know that's what you're talking about exactly. Yeah. But, I remember yeah. yeah. It's lots a lot of, of uh, uh, headlines. Yes, yes. A lot of various, various, various uh, socioeconomic statuses there. And, um, so we got a lot to the, we got a lot of, um, homeless people who would come into the store. Um, they would hang out in the store. You know, sometimes they use it as a cover, uh, so much that we would develop relationships. So we were on like first name basis, you know, and as long as they weren't causing any, any trouble, you know, we would let them stay. It's a community place. We're open for business, you know, no big deal. Um, we had one that would come in, he would ride a bike or he'd be on foot and he'd come in and, uh, he would stuff the meat like down his pants and like in his shirt and then would try to exit the store. And I would always like, uh, his name was Willie. I was like, Willie, what's like in your pants? You know, I could see like the Pringles can like poking out the back of his shirt and I would just always stop him, you know, make him give us our stuff back. But, uh, Mr. Dave, the loss prevention there, and there were a variety of them. Mr. Dave was just my favorite. Um, they're the only ones that are really allowed to have like aggressive interactions or to like really go for the products that they're taking out. I don't want to give away any like grocery store secrets, but you know, there's a couple of hot spots that they always watch because they're the, the probability of them being stolen is higher, right? Cause they go faster on the black market. Um, for instance, Tide is one. So I didn't, huh. I didn't know that exactly. Right. I didn't know that when I started working, but apparently That'd be a hard Tide, one to sneak. Oh, you it's would be. Bulky. You, you, you can sell Tide apparently on the black market 
for top dollar. You know, they I wonder why it. is it like a drug making chemical? No, I don't think so. I just think that there's probably a lot of stay at home mom. Everybody washes clothes, right? So everybody yeah. needs tie. So if you steal it and then sell it for five dollars less than what we're selling it in the grocery store, it moves really fast. <laughs> I mean, you think it would be hard to? I don't think they can make drugs from it. You think it would be hard to move? But they are so creative, right? Like they come in and they'll stack a cart and like put things strategically around it. So it might be like lined with like soda, but the inside is just nothing but like 15 Tide Pod canisters, right? Like the big round plastic ones. Um, and they just roll out the store with it. You know, they'll just push out the store and hope that nobody notices. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's a, that was really fascinating. Just some like razors. Yep. Razors are another one. Um, and so if you guys, you know, it's just, it is fascinating. And so I learned that and uh, the loss prevention was a really exciting, you know, fun aspect. And I got to experience a lot at my store because of where we were. So we had a, a really strong presence yeah. and those tactics were just really fascinating. Um, so I, I, that was really nice to kind of experience when you come from like, not, it was my first retail position period. So you may, I have had a lot of jobs. You named that in the beginning. I, I love, I love money. I love to make money. Sometimes I'd rather make it than save it. So if I need something, like I'd rather pick up a side hustle and work really hard to earn the money than like to keep one job and deprive myself from like that DoorDash or that pair of shoes for three months so I can save like for a wedding or something. And so uh, I have had a lot of jobs. I worked at Best Buy, but, but the grocery store was the first grocery retail, sorry. And so... um you know, it, it just, oh, it's a different world, you know, and the idea that people eat and the people you meet and, you know, the scams people try to pull and the things you see, you know, there, I have a, a dozen hundreds of stories. Um, and then I did learn a lot. So when I left the grocery store, my most, um, it was probably, I learned a lot in my career. I grew a lot. So when I worked there, I was, uh, I'm 35 now. So I was maybe, I was 28 to 30, maybe. And so you're growing as a person for anyone who's experienced, like who remembers that point in your life, you know, like 28 to 32 is really like a transition of age, coming of age, you know, authentic, full-fledged adult, you know, you're no longer, like there's no college, you know, no young person, you're old, you're going to bed at nine, you're paying authentic bills, you know. And so I was uh, really coming of age and I was really into a career, um, into my career and focused on my career. And, uh, you know, I had never really been in trouble. So, uh, you know, I have a, I'm, I'm a fun person. I am pretty positive. I am also pretty opinionated. You know, sometimes I've maybe different in opinion with peers or coworkers. And, uh, that has gotten me spoken to since I worked at the grocery store. Uh, I took this store through a remodel. So when I started, they were maybe 130 employees. After two years and uh, like a million, a, a one and a half million dollar remodel, we're this big mega grocery store that has all the fancy like um, eating options, all the fancy like cafe stores and sushi now and, you know, bakeries fancy. I mean, we have a, a UofL store in the front specific to uh, the area we live in because it's right by the college and all these different new things we were able to implement. So I spent my entire two years with this company there um, because we were going to a big remodel, same managers normally, because they try not to touch it because everything's changing. Um, we were about 240 employees when I left. So it was my first introduction into like talent acquisition, hiring, training, development, that portion of HR. I really 
learned there because I was taking it. So I, w- I grew the, the workforce. You know, we needed an extra hundred people to run all the new fancy things they were adding. New pharmacy, everything. Just a gorgeous store. And um, we got a Starbucks that was new. And so uh, we would go all the time. Loved it. I worked at Starbucks in college. So, you know, shout out to UK Ovid Cafe, Starbucks. I was there for um, my four, three, four, all four years I was in college, I worked at Starbucks. And uh, so I'm, I, you know, I still know the ins and outs. You know, I consider myself a top notch barista still. And um, so we would go all the time. And so one morning I went to Starbucks um, and I was with a coworker who was a friend. Uh, not necessarily like outside of the store, but, uh, you know, we had a relationship. So we go down, we were working on something. She had another position in the store and we were working on something together. And I'm like, before we get into this, like, let's go get some Starbucks. You need, we need some sustenance. So we went to Starbucks, the cashier behind the Starbucks counter, also so very excited to see me. As you guys heard from my memories, people love me. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a blessing and a curse. People get excited to talk to me. I do bring a lot of energy. I like to have really exciting interactions. You know, you try to pump up someone's day. So we're excited to see each other. Couldn't tell you what we were talking about, just having ourselves a grand time. We order our drinks. She makes the drinks. Uh, she passes them to us. And um, I'm tasting the drinks because I worked at Starbucks for like five years. So I taste the drinks and I'm like, oh, yeah, these are perfect. You know, we have some conversation and I walk away. So I go on to enjoy the rest of my day. So the next day I come into work and uh, my manager goes, I need to talk to you about something. And, you know, anytime your manager calls you into their office Uh-oh. and says, I need to, I know I need to talk to you about something like your heart immediately drops. Yeah. And that's but, a, but a go- fun one though, if you are a manager, you get to do that and then tell them good things too. Like <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good way to flip, you know? Yeah, that's true. Make it and not so much of a stigma, I guess. Yes. I know. I, t- I try to tell people, I'm like, every time I call you in here, it's not bad. And so I do try to, you know, say I, sometimes it's good, but you know, it doesn't alleviate the drop feeling when your manager calls you into the office. But uh, yeah. to make a long story short, uh, we had failed to pay for the Starbucks drinks. And she told me because I had been buying Starbucks two to three times a day for the last six months and had been paying for all of those. And she was like, you know, they are going to want to look into this. Like I have to report it. You need to figure out what happened. So relationship there you know that's again the value of relationship when you have a strong relationship I was able to get the heads up about what was about to unfold in my career so uh, another manager again because we had a great relationship helped me go through the cameras we looked through the cameras so when you watch the camera you see me uh, like take my phone and flip it for her to scan to pay for my drink because you know the Starbucks you scan in the app and uh, for whatever reason she scans but like we keep talking but the transaction doesn't process and she doesn't notice. I don't notice. So like we walk away, she walks away. So another barista who was not part of the interaction with us initially comes and sees that these drinks are still in the register and that they were not paid for. So she like passes it out and sets the receipt to the side and is like, uh, and tells her manager who does his research and realizes. Sounds like that. a simple mistake. Just go, I mean, Hey, all right, got it. I'll pay for him. Oops. Not at all. Uh, he didn't even come to me, but I was not, it, it, snowballed into something so big um they accused and i mean i work in hr so you know that i understand processes and how things are supposed to work but they uh i was accused of stealing the drinks which launched a internal investigation on me and uh in addition to that mistake um they accused me because when you watch the tape you see me drink out of my like the 
young lady I was with her drink and it's because I wanted to make sure it was made correctly but they accused me of then having a relationship with her so I just like want that to land so here I am like 29 30 I think I'm 29 so here I am 29 and I forget I failed to pay for the drink and now they're and now it has snowballed into me potentially having a relationship with an hourly associate who works under me and is also the same sex as me and so uh complete blow up snowball crazy crazy um week of this investigation so you know my boss comes down because even though my store manager is like my boss i have an hr boss so my boss comes down and she's like you know we need to talk to you they talk to the young lady which honestly shout out to her because she is really who i think was able to get them off my back about it because she was like you guys are you know stereotyping just because we're friends uh, and you see like, and we look alike and, you know, we're the, we're the same, like does not mean we're in a relationship. And I really think that advocation, like that advocacy on her part is what helped alleviate some of the weight. Cause you know, it's hard when you're in it and you're the person accused to be like, no, like, what are you guys seeing? Right. But for her to be like, what are you guys doing? This is ridiculous. And, you know, just because Whitney's a great manager and we have a great relationship doesn't mean that it's anything more. Um, and the young man, he wasn't young. Let me not be nice. The old man that accused us <laughs> of this, uh, you know, was just a different type of person. And uh, it was wild. But um, they, <laughs> I was able, you know, they had launched an internal investigation. And I had already had some doubts about having a long-term career in this role, um, simply because the work-life balance, you know, it's really hard like I had talked about earlier, to go home for holidays because anytime someone's eating, you're working. But this is what really solidified the I need to go somewhere else. I knew I was going to make it out of this investigation because you can't pin something on me that I was not doing. And I will, and I did own up, and I will own up. Um, it While it was an honest mistake, you can see me try to pay for my drink, which I've done hundreds of times. It is also my responsibility as the manager to make sure that I get a receipt and that my transaction's complete. I, spend I don't get receipts for like anything when I'm, uh, <laughs> I, you know, unless but I'm like, you, you know, for tax reasons <laughs> or something. You know, but when you work in the store, I spend so much money in the store and you have to make sure that you can validate because you, I, I mean, just imagine owning a store of like day to day things and the amount of employee theft you handle. Like it, it was just a thing, right? Yeah. I had, gotcha. I had, ter- okay. I had, ter- I had terminated a young man for, um, getting lunch from one of our lunch things and then scanning it as a banana. So when you go to uh, like, and so it's just like a lot of employee stuff that happens. So I understand that. So I want to like not discredit that it was, it's my responsibility as the employee, as the manager to get my receipts and make sure that I'm paying for my, cause I'm the example, right? I'm setting the example. And if the roles were reversed, I would have to coach someone else. Yeah, on so saying, somewhat hey, of a standard. Yes. Okay. You know, so I'm, I'm the leader, right? I'm the role model. People are looking to me. I can't hold other people accountable for things I'm not doing. So a hundred percent, that was an error on my part. I was so caught up in the moment and the happiness and the experience and the conversation that I didn't ensure that my drinks were paid for. And, you know, a lot of ways people ignore, uh, alleviate that is, you know, they take the receipt and like tape it to the cup or tape it to the product. So you can always validate that you paid for it. Cause when they told me, I said, no, no, I paid for that. But I, it, the, I, you can see me try, but the transaction didn't process. And so that, so that was my fault. You know, I will, I will own up to that. Um, and if it was handled with someone maybe that 
was in a better space in life. It might have been a simple Whitney. It didn't go through when we watched the camera. That didn't happen. Mm -hmm. You need to pay for those drinks. Um, but it will blossomed into something that was so much bigger. But, uh, you know, blessing in disguise, because I decided that I couldn't work there anymore. Um, because my reputation is very important to me. You know, the only thing I can control is myself. And at the time, I didn't see how I would bounce back from this heavy of an accusation. Even though I knew I was going to clear it, I would have to still continue to work at this space, at this specific store. Or they would send me to another store. But I just, I was over it. You know, like when yeah. things like that happen, I, I was immediately disengaged to, you know, use a really big hot topic word. I was immediately disengaged. And yeah. so while I'm going through this investigation, I start applying for other jobs um, because, you know, I have my master's degree. I've got some years of experience under my belt. Who wouldn't want to hire me? Right. So I started applying for other jobs and um, I uh, on Indeed, shout out, and uh, I find this company. My mom sends me a job in E-Town because my mom wants me to move back home. You guys know how moms are. So my mom's looking for jobs that are close to her. So yep. she sends me <laughs> this job in E-Town at a place called Matulsa that's looking for an HR representative. And so... um I apply um, and I, I think I'm writing like a cover letter for them. And so um, I upload my resume, but I don't like hit submit in my world. Um, but I'm like thinking I need to submit some other documents before it's like officially submitted. And so I get a call the next day that I need to drive to headquarters to have uh, a face-to-face -face, like discipline meeting. So to conclude this investigation and as I'm driving to headquarters, for this grocery store, I get a phone call from an E-Town number. So I answer it and it's a recruiter from Matulsa. And I say, oh, I didn't think my application was submitted. I've yeah. been writing a cover letter. And she said, no, I got your resume. All I need is your resume. Do you have a few minutes to do a phone interview? And I'm like, absolutely. So I'm driving to a discipline meeting for my current job, doing an over the phone interview for a new job. Um, and so I do the interview. She's like, okay, I want to schedule you in person. So she schedules me in person for maybe the following week early. At a 7.30 a.m. interview, maybe 7.15, so like really early in the morning interview. And uh, I'm like, okay, so I go through the discipline meeting. They grill me, ask me a lot of questions about um, like my relationship with the two employees as well as the Starbucks drink. I'm there like 45 minutes. And, uh, you know, as an HR professional, it is nice to have the experience to be on the other side. Yep. You know, and so I, it, it was heavy, but again, I knew I hadn't done anything wrong and I respect their need to do a thorough investigation. So whatever. So, you know, I do it. It's fine. They send me out. They're like, we'll let you know our decision. So I'm not in the clear. So, you know, they send me out. So I don't need to go by. I go do the interview. Um, wonderful woman that I met. I lived at 45 minutes away. I lived in Louisville at the time. Interviews in E-Town for those of you familiar with Kentucky. And uh, so I leave my house really early. I drive down. I get there about 20 minutes early. Um, and I, I, I sign in and I'm sitting in the lobby. And this woman comes walking through the lobby. And so she, she looks and smiles at me. And then she does a double take. And she said, are you my 715 interview? And I said, I'm like, yes, my name's Whitney. You know, I shake her hand. And she goes, oh, okay. She goes, give me a minute. So I had beat her to work. And that's when I knew that I had the job, right? <laughs> it's the little things like that. You know, the little little efforts of professionalism that puts you above other candidates, you guys. And that um, was Linda, I, I'm guessing. You no, know, that was Teresa. Because Teresa, remember, okay. when, when Linda started, she sat in a cubicle across That's from right. me. She was yeah. not in a big boss's office yet. Um, that was Teresa, who's a fantastic HR professional, still in Louisville. Uh, big mentor, taught me a lot as well. 
and we'll move past this. Let's get this. So anyway, yeah. I applied for, I interview. Um, so this, I, they call and offer me the job maybe two days later, day later, um, uh, almost doubled my salary from where my current role is. So it's a no brainer. I get to move home. They double my salary. It's fine. Um, the same day, my niece, my nephew had also been born. Shout out to baby corn. Uh, and so I was driving to Alabama to go see him for the second time in his life. He's like a week old, two weeks old, and I'm driving to see my baby. And uh, my <clears throat> boss calls me and says, I just wanted to let you know the, the resolution. So I got the call, two calls, same day. I get the call offering me the job. So I'm celebrating. I haven't said anything to, to anybody because I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to step away from my current position. Then my current boss calls me and says, um, we concluded the investigation. There will be, you know, no other repercussions, but I am going to have to put a written, like, counseling in your file. So, you know, I don't get in any trouble because Stop. I haven't done it. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I've done wrong is failing to make sure my transaction went through. I um, mean, so they're, but they got to put a note in my file. Sounds like whatever, there's a sniper whatever. up there. <laughs> and so, uh, okay. And so I was just like, um, <clears throat> you know, okay. So I hang up with her. I get to Alabama. I borrow my brother's computer type up my resignation letter and email it same day. So they call me and tell me the investigation's over. They have to put a note in my file. That'll follow me my entire career at this company, which hurts me because again, I have not really done too much wrong. Um, and really the note is about the accusation of the relationship. Like it wasn't even really about the Starbucks, but they have to note both. Um, and so I'm like, it's okay. And I send in my two weeks notice, like same day. I'm like, I'm over this. So I put my two weeks in. And so that was just a testament of, um, doors opening and doors closing right so again i've mentioned you know i am a christian i believe in god and i believe in divine intervention and like when something's ordained by god it's effortless right doors open and doors close so it was very simultaneous for me so i stepped away from the grocery store you know i left the right way built a relationship um did my two weeks you know i didn't do anything i didn't have an, an outburst or emotional response to this you know i still did everything very professional because you never know when you're going to need and you know, I knew they were just doing their job, but I did put my two weeks notice in and we had the grand opening. So my last day was the day after the grand opening. So, you know, I was going, taking a story through a big remodel. We had the grand opening. It was this big ordeal. It was thousands of people, thousands of executives, thousands of leaders, a lot of packs in the bag. I got to reap the rewards of my hard work for two years. And then the next day was my last day. And so uh, it was, it was a really nice closed court closed chapter of my life um, that I really don't ever have to reopen. Um, even though I do still shop this grocery store, so I have a great relationship, we can only get delivery where I live now, which I'm fascinated by. So, um, But that was a really, really big portion of my career, right? Like when I think about some of the, the lessons, that was the biggest lesson, you know, is you have to be mindful. You have to make sure that you're on your P's and Q's and you can only be responsible for yourself. Um, and if I would have just made sure that that transaction went through, maybe I would have been able to miss some of this drama, but it probably would have just came around some other aspects. So you live and you learn. So I got to, it, I got to move on to something bigger and better. I spent four years with Matulsa, which we'll say their name because they're a fantastic automotive company. Um, they taught me a lot, really developed my specific HR career. So there I was an HR uh, shift rep. Um, I was on second shift, then I spent my last year maybe on first shift. I was there through COVID. Um, so I looked up at one point and I was doing payroll for hourly and salary. And I was a shift rep for like first shift and third shift. Like I was doing like four people's jobs at once. 
um, because COVID was crazy, but I went through COVID there. It was the first job I had that allowed me to really specify the HR track. So I wasn't also running a grocery store or also working with kids or, you know, also managing a, a, a yeah, focused on the craft. Project. Yeah, yeah. I got to, I was only HR. So I was, it was also a union. So I'm employee relations, you know, I'm disciplined, I'm leave of absences, I'm development opportunities, I'm job posting. It was about uh, 2,500 people. So it's a pretty big site. Um, and so I learned so much. It really sharpened me as an HR professional. I had a lot of mentors there, Linda, Teresa, Christy, Angelia, a lot of people, Liz, who taught me, both Liz's, uh, my career and helped me understand, you know, you learn a lot when you're with people, iron sharpens iron, right? So you're with people who are HR professionals. Sure. Yes. So you, you learn a lot. And so uh, I spent wonderful years there, Did highs and lows. You know, I had a lot of personal losses. We had some professional ones. <clears throat> And again, I went through COVID and that's probably when things started to get a little crazy. And I was like, okay, I might need to get somewhere where I can be a little calmer because, you know, the teams were changing and you, you end up with a lot of work on your plate and, you know, things, things to teams start. Teams are to changing. Change. What do you mean? So like leaders were leaving, bosses were changing, my peers were changing. Great resignation I, stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, I was about to say, I probably had in that position, I had before. From my start as a shift rep, I had three people change and just my immediate peers yeah. in probably a year and a half. And so you just, it's a lot of, it was the great resignation really did impact like the team and, you know, really four or five, if you go outside of my peers, but talk about some of the work, you know, that was on my plate. And, um, you know, we, you stay because you're loyal, right? So, and I say, let me say this. I stayed because I'm loyal to a fault sometimes, but, you know, I had really great relationships. I really enjoyed the work. And so I wasn't necessarily looking to leave. I was looking to grow there. And so, you know, I had a lot of people go on to bigger and better. Um, and so I got to do, you know, a couple of other things, but I was in the same cubicle for four years. Um, and you just look up one day and you're like, okay, you know, maybe it's time like, is my, is my time here done? You know, Something just moves in your spirit and you're like, okay, I think it's time. Also, just shout out to Mapulse. That's where I met my fiance. Uh, so I did work in HR and he was in IT. It took me probably about four months to even realize that he liked me. I'm really oblivious to those things sometimes um, until he brought me in a bag of grandma's cookies one day. We have a really cute, meat cute story. And that's when I realized he was hating on me because food has always been my love language. And so uh, I also knew then because... While it, there wasn't necessarily a policy, it's not the most professional uh, move to be in HR and dating someone who works at the company because if they want to complain about him, you know, it's hard to come and complain about the uh, your employee that because like you can't come complain about Tony to HR because Tony's girlfriend works in HR, you know, and so yeah. um, and so uh, I was like, okay, you know, it's time. I really wanted to see where this was going. I felt really good about it. And so I was like, all right, so uh, organic, inter or organic, organic intervention, ordained intervention again. Um, I checked my LinkedIn and had a message from a recruiter for a really big company. I mean, big, that was awesome. Um, and very organically over the holiday season, I did a couple of interviews, one the day before Thanksgiving. My first one was the day before Thanksgiving. And uh, in January, I transitioned to a, a different company and had to leave Matosa behind, but Still great relationships, as Linda mentioned in her memory. I still talk to them. 
I felt really guilty when I left probably the first like four months. So I would still drop off like donuts and Diet Coke because I am a foodie. You know that from working with me, like I will bring a box of donuts to work in a minute, try to make somebody's day. I probably should door dash them some donuts. I might need to do that Monday just that I miss you guys. <laughs> Here's some donuts. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, because the relationships were really strong, I learned a lot. I owe a lot. My growth, my development in the HR world really came up from that team. And so, you know, little... Uh, I'm a, I'm a, gifts is a, my love language, along with like words of affirmation. I'm really all of them, but you know, when you yeah. appreciate someone, I try to make sure they know. So I would still drop off like Diet Cokes and donuts and McDonald's fries. And so a really good time with that team. So I've had a lot, a lot of, uh, career influences, a lot of mentors, a lot of mentors uh, came out of Matulsa's team. Um, and so really excited. And now, you know, I work for a great company, brought me to Florida. <clears throat> I get to uh, go to the beach on the weekend. I'm 20 minutes from my mom. So my mom got married and moved to Florida while I was um, transitioning roles. So we lived apart for about a year. And then the opportunity for me to come to Florida came up. And I was like, okay, God, okay, is this it? And so now my mom lives 20 minutes up the road from me again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm getting married in September. So I'm in a growth season. I mean, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but, you know, I, uh, there's, your your life you know ebbs and flows you know sometimes yep, there are lows. yep and sometimes there are highs and uh currently i'm in a high you know i have a new position i've moved to florida i have a fiance we're getting married in nine days my mom is up the street you know my family is great everybody's about to be guys 60 people coming to jamaica Goodness. to watch us for 30 minutes get married on the beach and so um you know ebbs and flows and so you know that's my that's what i want you guys to take away from all those stories is you know sometimes life gets really low and you know sometimes you do you make mistakes and uh they have they have repercussions and you know sometimes you just have to own up to those repercussions it's not the end of the world you know if i would have decided hr wasn't for me when i was leaving the grocery store after that investigation like where would i be today you know and so it's just it's not the end of the world you just have to keep the faith and just keep progressing keep moving forward you know don't give up it's not over till you quit. And I, I saw this quote the other day and I was like, Tony would love that. I, I'm going to start like taking pictures. And it was like, it's not over when you fail. It's over when you quit. And I yep. was like, that is so good. And they so, respond, right? Yes. And so, you know, I didn't quit, kept it moving. And so now I'm on a fantastic, you know, uptick in life. I'm in a growth season and things are well. Gotcha. You're uh, lots of different jobs, lots of ebbs and flows. Um, but the transition biggest job transition learning for you okay it was it's take the leap of faith and that's how i got to the position i'm in now because again i told you, you know, i'm almost loyal to a fall i wasn't sure what my life would look like post matosa i had been there for four years it's where my family was from um you know it's where i grew up like it was really comfortable you know and i, I could have stayed there 10 more years and i would have been comfortable maybe not 100 percent satisfied but comfortable um, but, you know, you have to take the leap of faith when you want more. You know, I knew I wanted to move. I wanted to go to a company that would allow me to experience like different areas. You know, Matulsa is a mega company and they're awesome. But for their, they, and they're global, you know, they're a Mexico based company. Um, but I don't speak fluent Spanish yet working on it. And so I knew I couldn't like go to Mexico. So, you know, the places I could go and still support their company were limited. And so I knew I wanted to get somewhere where I could live somewhere like fun you know, and have a life outside of work and grow my family and, you know, raise kids. And so uh, just, you have to take the leap of faith. You can't, you know, stay comfortable. You got to get uncomfortable sometimes. And so, um, 
when I was approached and decided maybe that it was time for me to transition careers from a Tulsa, um, I really just took a leap of faith. I was like, okay, you know, it's something new. It gave me a 45 minute commute. So I immediately wasn't comfortable again. You know, I wasn't up the street from my home. I didn't know what it would look like for me, my relationship, my family, but I knew that it was getting me in a position that I wanted to be like, it was getting me closer, you know, to somewhere fun and to being able to relocate and, you know, go somewhere bigger and better and less work, more money, more vacation, you know, more benefits. Um, the workforce is really transitioning. You know, I'm a millennial, but as far as, um, you know, people like we don't stay with companies because we're loyal. We go where we're treated the best, you know, and I was ready to be like really like treated well and, you know, own my work. And so, uh, I took the leap of faith and to get me into the position that I met you and where I am now. And, uh, it was, it was definitely the biggest transition, biggest risk. You know, when I transitioned to Matulsa, it wasn't a risk. I was over it. You know, decision was made. It happened really organically. If it wasn't Matulsa, it would have been somewhere else. Um, and so I'm grateful it was Matulsa. That was definitely, you know, best case scenario for me. Um, but when I left Matulsa, I wasn't authentically ready. I just knew that it was time and it was an opportunity that I probably couldn't pass up to help me progress my career. And it was definitely a risk that paid off, you know? Good. Yeah. Cool. Take the leap of faith for everyone who's listening. There's a book about that. It's called uh, The Big Leap. Yeah. Can you one. tell me you uh what is what do you call them low cost returns low cost low cost u turn yes so that's what... a, a big one when you're so um just kind of how the way I work is I, I we don't have to have hundred percent to to make a decision right seventy percent let's do it now uh, but there are some instances where that seventy percent now the high cost. Like the, hey, there's probably going to be a big ramification if you make this decision based off your 70% now theory. Um, that's a big cost. So low cost U-turns are, are a good way, I think, personally, to to experiment, to to keep the ball moving. Um, so. Yeah. So that's a, I, I, I sit on that, but it was, it was a, it was a low cost. I left, you know, Matilda the correct way. So if it didn't turn out, uh, like pay off, I'm sure they would have welcomed me back, but. <laughs> And, you know, people, I work in HR, so I see a lot of people not leave companies the correct way. And so, you know, it's very important to me to leave companies the correct way because you never know the relationships will be valuable. Yeah. You know, you may not need to work there again, but you may need a, a reference. And the communities are small. So even though I may not be applying for a job with that company, the person hiring you is going to see. And I answer a lot. A lot of people, Matosa is big. And so a lot of people will say, hey, this person said they worked at Matosa. What can you tell me? And yep. so it's very important, you know, that the relationships are there and that you're always being professional and setting your, big foot, your best foot forward. And so, you know, very important to me. So Yep, reputation. You said that at the beginning, yeah. right? Yes. And the relationship, right? Relationship currency. Leadership is influence. No doubt. All right. I got some rapid fire questions for you. Okay. Um, so I'm going to ask these as if, and, and I think I, I found all these questions together for, uh, these are good questions to ask your kids before putting them to bed or before they go to sleep. So the first one is if you could fly anywhere like a bird, where would you fly? If I could fly anywhere like a bird. Okay. I'm exhausted already. So I can't go too far because I'm a bird. Even though I mean, birds can take a break. Hawaii's first. Hawaii's coming to my, I mean, but I also would maybe go to Egypt. I have a friend in Egypt. So maybe. Okay one of those and like oahu hawaii because the food is fantastic there got it all right if you uh if you opened a store what would you sell okay leather handbags made by my friend poncho in guatemala shout out to poncho's bags 
he mails me bags every now and then. I help him kind of push him through the U.S. because he doesn't really have a market here. Um, but I would it would be slow fashion, so it would 100% be items handmade that have really cute stories. So we're going to have, like, Carissa earrings, made with love Carissa earrings, Poncho's bag from the USA, okay. and other really cute things made by people who are paying bills in their homes and not, like, mega corporations. Gotcha. Excellent. What do you think is better than others? This is that weird one where you get to ask your kids when they go to sleep to figure out what they're thinking about, right? What do I think is better than others? Very broad. What do I think is better than others? I don't know. Maybe my growing season. I kind of spoke on that, but I think, you know, I'm going to, and I hope that's an inspiration to someone who's listening. So, you know, Life ebbs and flows. And so sometimes you look up and your season's not as growing as the person next to you. So like I'm in a growing season now and, you know, somebody hasn't met their husband or they haven't been able to start a family or they're in a job that they're not really excited about. Like things change, right? Things grow. So just hold the path. Don't give up. It'll change, right? Joy comes in the morning. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm in a growing season, so I'm probably a little happier than most currently. Um, and I understand it's a roller coaster and if you're gotcha. someone who's not as happy, it's coming. So don't give up. Good stuff. If you could <clears throat> become an animal, what would you be? <laughs> okay. I'm going to go koala bear. Because okay. they're really cute. Interesting. And, you know, they, they, I think they sleep during the day and they eat a lot of eucalyptus. Maybe not, but they eat a lot of eucalyptus and they just climb around. And they're really cute. What complaints do we have about koala bears? None. They're super cute, fluffy, and they can eat all the time and they just get fluffy. So koala bear okay uh <laughs> if you could have a superpower what would it be if i could have a superpower i think it would be hmm maybe i would want to read minds okay. maybe i would want to read minds or i would want to be invisible <clears throat> if i read minds i would use it for bad too so i think we talked about this before but i would not it would not 100% be for good. Like if I could read minds, I would be like a lawyer, right? So I would be able to read like what they're not telling me so I could win all my cases. Yeah, you know, that would like be a crazy uh, yes. power to have. Yes, because you always know authentically. I think you'd have yeah, to get you know, used to You know who your snakes are right away. Yes, exactly. And you have to get used to even the people you love and trust the most having some negative thoughts. I think that's the downfall is, you know, like sometimes it doesn't matter how much you love someone, sometimes they're getting on your nerves. And I would have to hear that secretly so I would have to really teach myself, you know, to realize, like, who says more positive things, like understanding, you know, like a 70-30 rule, like they are allowed to be annoyed with me at some time. For the most part, they have my, 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 my good, they have, for the most part, they have like my, my, I don't know what I'm trying to say there. They have my better interest at heart, mm -hmm. but, uh, but you do learn about the snakes and so people who are like trying to, you know, pull one over on me, I would know. So I would be like a lawyer. Also, I feel like law school would be really easy because I would just be able to read like the other students' thoughts as we're taking tests sure. or like my purpose. So like I would just go through life succeeding. And so really there's no downfall. Yeah. I think the downfall is you would hear you would hear negative things, but you know, I would be able to turn some of my other powers for good. So <laughs> gotcha. yeah, that'd definitely be a good superpower to have. Yeah. Uh let's see. Um what's your current the current song you have on repeat? Okay. There's a song called On My Mama by Victoria Monet. 
And that song I have been listening on repeat. She's an R&B singer. She's fantastic. She's up and coming. And she has a couple of other songs I really like. But On My Mama is the one that I'm currently on repeat. The first song I ever heard from her is, uh, I think it's called, oof, I don't want to get us in trouble. I think it's called, hold on, let me find it. I think it's called F-U-C-K. Okay. But so the acronym for, for something different. It stands for Friends You Can Keep. So if you listen to the song, um, but that was the first song I ever heard from her. And that was probably three years ago. So I'm really excited to see that she's like really growing and gaining popularity. And she has a new song. She has a couple of new songs out, but on oh, my mama, I love, and okay. I've been listening. And that'll tell people when <laughs> people listen to this and hear that song, it's going to tell them a lot about who I am. <laughs> awesome. Well, cool. Um, that's it of the rapid fires. Let's see. Um, what's the biggest struggle that you have in the HR profession in general? I have two. There's two. So my biggest struggle is, and it's all, it's both of them are how people interact with me. My first one is, uh, you have, you have to have really tough conversations, you know, and you have to make people upset. So for instance, you know, whenever, you are disciplining someone or, you know, terminating someone, uh, you're the person delivering the message. And sometimes that can be taken really bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they, I did, you're the bad, you're the villain, you know, cause it's like, if it's not my decision, you know, there's a company policy, but I'm the villain because I'm delivering the message. And uh, that is never easy. I've been doing it for eight years now. Um, I've had doors slammed. I've had stuff knocked off my desk. I've been cussed out. I've been called names. Like it really, it, it never gets easy. Um, and you know, I try, people have kind of talked. I do try really hard to make sure that I'm still able to empower someone, even though I'm disciplining them. And you know, that's kind of a thing I tell people, I try to teach to some of the leaders that work with me is, you know, you can discipline someone and still make them feel empowered, but it's really hard. Hi. It's really hard to do. She's so gorgeous. It's really hard to do uh, to this day. And so that's probably the hardest part about HR is changing someone's life or disciplining them because you're the villain. I um, mean, you know, a lot of times people don't look up and take ownership for their actions. So even though they're the person who's violated the policy, whether it's like attendance or, you know, <clears throat> aggression, workplace violence, like I didn't lead you to do these things, but I'm the person that has to execute the discipline and, you know, inform you of the decision on behalf of the company. And that never gets easy. I'm always stressed out about it. Um, and people will always talk about how positive I am, but it gets really hard. And then the other thing is help working with leaders and trying to help them understand ways they could be better. Um, and then sometimes like not doing them. So, you know, the hardest part of being in HR and like people management is sometimes you don't go, you don't see eye to eye with people who are more like business focused. Mm-hmm. Like I'm people over profit and sometimes people are like profit over people. They're like, no, we should work on that seventh day or, you know, we shouldn't pay them for that day that we had to be off. And I'm just like, no, no. Like, and so that gets really frustrating. <laughs> that gets really frustrating. Is that Bella? That's Bell. Yeah. Hi, Bella. my youngest. Hi. Can you wave? How are She's you? saying hi. Oh, hello, sweetie. Right, give us some time. And so <laughs> those are my two. Um, those are my two. So it's really hard to deliver really tough conversations. And then to yeah. see, and then the leadership development part, because it's really hard. It's not, I feel like, while HR is taken more serious than it has been in the past, it's still not as serious as some other aspects of business. 
And so sometimes it's hard to disagree with a decision a company's making, but still having to have like a unified front as you execute it. Gotcha. All right. Biggest struggle, biggest struggle for you today in general. Uh, okay. Well, you know, I'm, I'm nine days out from my wedding. And so I did pick up my wedding dress and it did fit. But just on a personal note, my biggest struggle to date is my weight. I'm very hungry as we speak. I want to eat, but I can't. When we hang up, I'll have like something healthy. Um, cause I'm just trying to be better. So at least my wedding dress fits. So. Think about me um, in nine days because I'm going to have as many donuts as my body can tolerate <laughs> after my <laughs> wedding, the morning of, because at this point it shouldn't turn into fat. I'll just be in my stomach so my dress should still shut. So that's probably my biggest struggle. If that's just what comes to mind. Um, and then, you know, I am getting married and I just met a young lady. This is about to get deep. I am getting married. And actually, you're a really good mentor for me in this aspect. You don't know this, but I use you as a role model. Cause I'm really nervous about my marriage and its success. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just met, I just met a person two days ago and she was married and with her, her ex for 12 years and her divorce just got finalized. Yep. And so the fear that my marriage won't succeed, cause you know, I'm about to embark into this new and just the idea that I'm going to look up in four or five years and like, he won't be there. Um, or, and I, or I won't want him to be there or he won't want to be there really stresses me out. Like just how things can change and how people grow. And so I'm very apprehensive about how to have a successful marriage. Um, and I think we're doing okay. You know, we're really honest with ourselves. We do really focus on communication. I talked to him about how we need to get like a coach. You know, I have a, so my aunt has been married to her husband for about 12 years and uh, they are really strong role models and they do a lot of like marriage uh, seminars and counseling. And so I always tell Francisco, who's my fiance, uh, that I want us to get like a marriage coach and I want us to have someone who can help us like talk through really difficult, really difficult, um, you know, like disagreements and arguments. Um, and, you know, I do, I do think that at our core, we have a really strong foundation um, because I never feel unsafe. And that's a new feeling for me in this relationship. So even when we argue, like, I never feel like it's the end. I don't feel like he'd rather be somewhere else. But the fear is there because, you know, in today's society, you meet so many more people who have had unsuccessful marriages than you do that have had successful marriages. Yeah. And, you know, they tell you it's just a decision. Like you just have to make the decision to stay married. So I'm going to hold on really hard to that. But uh, as I, as I am nine days out from my marriage, my wedding, I'm, um, I'm nervous at what it's going to look like on the other side. And if I'll be able to start a family and like what that looks like. So that's what keeps me up at night. <laughs> I got you. And so, yeah. Well, and you, you have in my world anyway, cause I don't know you guys too well, but you have a really successful family and marriage. And, you know, I know that you and your wife have made some commitments to each other that, like, influence yeah, outside we, decisions. We've had challenges, I'll tell you. Yeah. And she'll tell you, too. It's it's yeah. definitely, um, you got to keep working on it just like anything, right? Yeah. Um, and so. One of your big um, inspirations, quote lookers, that, that you used to have, at least I remember, is Maya Angelou. I love her. And there's a love there's a, a lot of things that, that come to mind throughout the memories of, of tie-ins to, to who Whitney is, but... Uh, on courage, courage is, this is a Maya Angelou quote, Um, courage is the most important of all virtues because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. Um, That's true. You can practice any virtue erratically, but nothing consistently (laughs) without courage. So there's a Maya Angelou quote for your biggest struggle. 
see, I had a, um, and you know, I think about that. We're so, we're so introspective. I think you and I, because I had a, um, I love my Angelo. I've never heard that quote before. So I have to kind of look that up. Maybe add that to my repertoire. Um, but I had the phenomenal woman poem hanging up in my office. And I think that's what used to come and see. And then the still I rise poem, um, which just talk about, uh, you know, still I rise is probably a poem about, could be a poem about courage. It's about, you know, overcoming and, Still, uh, you know, even though people want to see me not succeed, like still I rise. And that is definitely a theme for my life. Um, and again, because you just, you have to be courageous. You have to make the decision and you don't, can only control yourself, right? You can't quit. And so uh, that's why I love my Angela because she's so, she's, her, her life, there's so much you can relate to. She's got a series of books, um, of biographies. There's like seven that just chronological, chronologize her life. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, maybe like her childhood through adulthood and like her relationships and her experiences and her job um, and what she learned. Uh, and it's so good. And so I'm a huge fan of hers. Um, you know, she's an African-American female as well. So it's really easy to relate uh, and just aspire to, you know, be able to pull yourself up and encourage yourself. Like I am a phenomenal woman. Still I rise, you know, you have to, uh, you have to teach, you have to teach, your your children and you have to teach yourself like to love yourself because if you don't coach and love yourself you know then the world will teach you to hate yourself and so i use my angela for that a lot like it's a it's a it's a war cry you know like still i rise i'm a phenomenal woman like you're gonna be okay i'm a woman phenomenally like you're gonna be okay and uh it's a it's a war cry because you have to you have to teach yourself that you're gonna be okay because the world will teach you that you won't or the world won't help you you know you got to do it yourself and so Two more by Angelou quotes, and then we'll uh, close it out with a couple uh, final questions. Uh, but on our influences, you are the sum of the total everything you've ever seen, heard, eaten, smelled, been told, forgot. It's all there. Everything yes. influences each of us. And because of that, I try to make sure my experiences are positive. Uh, last one on her life's mission. My mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive. Yeah. And to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor and some style so that's it right that's literally it it's we're not here we're thriving tony we're here we're rising we're thriving we're phenomenal and we get to influence that and make that decision so 100 yep. percent and uh, definitely a role model definitely some themes that, that came up throughout the talk already today so that's why i yeah. talked about those um yes. last one so you you're you're positive you're jovial you spread the the love to others um you must have a daily affirmation what is that for you um so i do have a daily affirmation i think i have to tell myself daily you're gonna okay why have you i have almost cried like three times to me okay i'm sorry so um my daily affirmation is you deserve this. You are enough. Like you deserve this. You are enough. Like you're here. You deserve this. You deserve everything you have. Like you're enough. And that's what I have to kind of tell myself. Um, it's really crazy, like the imposter syndrome. And, you know, I kind of touched on that because I am in a growing season and I remember what it was like to not be in a growing season. And so sometimes I feel like, like, I don't deserve this or like, is this really happening? You know, do I deserve to be this happy in a relationship? Do I deserve to be this happy in my career? Do I deserve to have this new home in this new state? And it makes you really like doubt it. You feel like an imposter. And so I have to tell myself, like, you've worked really hard 
you know, you deserve this. You're here. You're worth it. Like, this is yours. You deserve it. So that's what I have to kind of coach myself through day to day. Awesome. No doubt. It's good stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. So what's uh final one? What's your price of admission? I think that. Oof, that's so deep. I think my price of admission is just. Let me see how I want to say this. I think my price of admission is just some of the self-doubt that I have to tackle, you know, like my, my price of admission, what it, what I pay to be here is just, you know, some of the sacrifices I've had to make, some of the experiences I've had, some of the things I've had to really pull myself through, you know, you, you have some really dark times and you have to coach yourself through those, you know, so you just have to remember it's not you, it's how you respond, right? It's not, it's not where you fail, it's where you quit. Um, and you can't let other people make those decisions for you, right? So you can't, you can't let other people tell you who you're going to be. Uh, you know, this, what you're worth, what you're ready to do. You know, when you decide it's time, it's time. And when you're ready, you're, you're ready. Um, and I think I probably missed a lot of opportunities listening to other people and uh, not understanding that I'm the only person that can influence where I go in life. Um, and so I think that that is um, my price of that mission, just the sacrifices I've made, some of the opportunities I've missed um, before I learned that it's all about me. You know, nobody can tell you any different. Nobody can control where you go, what you do. You know, I still, I rise. I'm a woman phenomenally and phenomenally I'll be. And so you just have to remind yourself of that. So that it took a lot to get me to a place where I can root for myself and I think rooting for yourself, uh, what it takes to get there. You got to root for yourself. Gotcha. And, uh, yeah. A lot of sacrifices to get me to a place where I'm, I was team Whitney, like through and through. She could do it. Still. I rise. That's your title. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Well, cool. Anything else you wanted to share before we close this thing up? I don't think so. Always super fun. Really excited to hear your story. I listen, waiting for you to share up like tidbits. So when you're ready, we can record. I'll be you if you want, and we can record your okay. uh, your your price of that mission. Yeah, mine's coming out through every single episode. So yeah, it is, it is. But no, I'm glad. I'm grateful that you know, I our relationship is very important to me. I consider you a friend and like a mentor, and so I'm glad that I was able to be a guest. And I love that you have a podcast that's so successful. And I'm excited to see you like super famous one day doing your podcast. And so. <laughs> You know, yeah. I'm grateful. There, there are times when I'm like, oh, that'd be cool if this thing could get big. But at the end of the day, there's all the other benefits that come with it that yeah. are the reason why I keep doing it. And if if it can help one person, if it can save one person, um, then it's a win. And there's just it's also, so many other benefits personally to me yeah. with it. So I think it's really good. And it's a, it's a super awesome and it's a super awesome record keeping. And that's why I was definitely down to do it as well. Um, because, you know, I have, you know, I've experienced a lot of loss. And so I'm like, you know, we'll look up in 15 years. And, you know, if I, something happens to me, like, they'll be able to like, oh, she'll be, she did a podcast. And like, they'll always be able to hear this. Like, it's such a, storytelling is such an important aspect of like legacy, you know, and remembering families and remembering cultures. You know, we wouldn't know anything about past cultures if there, if it wasn't for storytelling, you know, yeah. we, now we have the internet, you know, and they, people write things down, but 
you know, before it was word of mouth and it was letters and journals. And this is, you know, the modern day way to get your story out there and to, you know, help influence what people will hear down the line about your yeah. life and your legacy. And Grandkids so, could listen to it, right? I love it. I know, you know, I wish, I wish I had some podcasts from some of the people that I love who have left. You know, we really cherish their pictures and their videos. And so I think it's super awesome to have people put their story down like this because uh, it'll definitely always be, you know, something their families will seek and they will seek and they'll be able to share. And so I think it's a really powerful tool. Um, and I, you know, want you to feel supported and know that I definitely always want like to be there if you, if I can for you, cause I really value our friendship. So Yeah, no, I really appreciate all your teachings and coachings over the past couple of years uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, so thank you for that. And um, they went by really fast. I did. And <laughs> it did every year gets a little bit faster, right? That's true. It's going to me. Well, thanks. Uh, thank Francisco for your time today. I know you've got a big day coming up here in nine days uh, in do. Jamaica. So enjoy it. And uh, yeah, thanks again. All right. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. You too. Everybody's got a balance, but no one knows how much. There's no way to run the numbers, no way to count it up. And we're pouring out our fortunes in the moments, both the big and the small. Yeah, we gotta spend it all. All I have is what you gave. Watching seconds turn to days. I was made for more than just to watch it fly. A few more turns around the sign. Could be hundreds, could be wild. Show me how to spend the treasure of my time. Clay on the Show floor. me how to spend a life. Yeah. In the dance of they become something more Because my life's a series of misses I'm constantly kissing perfection goodbye My life is work that's unfinished A heart that keeps spreading A cup that runs dry You make a symphony From broken melodies You do it beautifully You take Make it a masterpiece, you'll make a masterpiece I'm brave, even when the fear is staring in my face Oh, I'm brave, I'm brave Living life like every moment counts I'm in the hands of an artist I either fight or trust Because my life is a series of misses Of constantly kissing perfection goodbye My life is work that's unfinished A heart that keeps Turns around
Show me how to spin the line. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Show me how to spin the line.